I have the privilege of preaching to us this morning. Let me share my screen real quick and just remind you of what we are busy with and where we are at the moment. Okay, so we said this before, but let me say it now again. We are busy with a series called Things Jesus Never Said. I'm just, uh, I just want to open up my notes here real quick. I was so excited during worship that I forgot to unlock passcode. You guys know the whole vibe. So this is our current series, Things Jesus Never Said. We started off by saying that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's actually something that Jesus never said. That was part one. And I do like the image. So I just want to leave that with you. I think the image speaks volumes. The second sermon I preached and the theme for that sermon was God wants you happy. Also something that Jesus never said. Part three was last week. And uh, that was, it doesn't matter what you believe, which is also something that Jesus never said. So the theme for today is part four of our current series. And that is, it doesn't matter what you do, which is also obviously something that Jesus never said. Now, I want you to look at the image just before I stop sharing our screen. uh, Because I think if you look at this image as a Christian, As a believer, you might go, dude, that is a bad idea. You are most definitely going to hurt your foot. If you look at this image as a non-believer, you might also think that it's a bad idea. But in the context of what's right and what's wrong, you might feel, listen, dude, if I want a nail in my foot, then I'm going to have it. Okay? So I don't think you should give me any commentary about the fact that I might be stepping into a nail. That's my thing to do, and it's my responsibility. So I thought the artwork was nice. Uh, the lady who designed it for us, her name is Tamera, and I just want to leave that image with you. So things Jesus never said, part four, it doesn't matter what you do. Now, guys, let me be honest. Um, I'm just going to stop sharing my screen here for a second. Initially, when we planned this series, we thought... It's going to be fun. The themes are going to be quite quirky. It's going to create earworms. It might uh, create some some engagement from the outside and people are not in the church. And we believe that what we are going to put out was going to be really relevant topics for all of us. Now, I just want to keep it real and tell you guys that this has been three unbelievably hard sermons for me to preach and to prep. And let me tell you why. The amount of unlearning that we have to do to get rid of these cultural sayings and these cultural truths that Jesus never said actually takes some doing, guys. It's hard to unlearn something that you've gotten so used to. I think most of you can agree with that. Secondly, once you've unlearned something, to relearn something new is also difficult, okay? I mean, I'm not saying I'm old, but I am turning 36 quite soon, which means physiologically, my brain has been as mature as it's ever going to be. That's quite shocking, actually, to think about it for 10 years, right? So once you hit 25, your brain goes, okay, dude, I'm done growing physiologically. Now you have to keep me agile and you have to keep me trained and learned. And if you don't, then your brain just loses the ability to learn something new. So learning something new is tough. And probably the hardest part for me is once we have now debunked these cultural myths, once we have relearned what Jesus actually said, to hold on to those things 
and to believe it, as weird and countercultural as it might sound, is really, really hard for me, guys. So this series is working inside of me. Uh, it's resonating well with me. We had a lovely city group on Wednesday night where we discussed this. And uh, I'm actually quite sad that we left the discussion of the series so late into our city group gathering. We did some family admin first. Because once I asked, guys, what's resonating with you about the series? The conversation was absolutely phenomenal. So it's been hard. It's been awesome. It's been transformative. It's been tough. It's been rough for me to prep these sermons. It's been tough to preach them because I know that they do sometimes land as a very hard and very stern word. And guys, newsflash, today is going to be no different because today we will speak about sin and we'll speak about intimacy with God. Okay, sin and intimacy with God. Why? Because that is a golden thread right through the Bible, right? So we see sin right in the beginning, and we see God wanting to be intimate with his people right through the story of the Bible. And eventually the Bible ends with God being amongst his people and his people living with him. Okay? So sin and intimacy with God is something we, if you are a believer, experience daily, which means that we would have stories for days if we start speaking about these two things. I think a good illustration is sin and intimacy with God is pretty much like hunger and food. Right? If I would have all of us talk about, so tell me about when you're hungry and tell me about food and what you love and how you chow it and what you had yesterday, we would have a colossal amount of stories. Why? Because it's a weighty topic. It's a topic that's real to us. It's something that we experience daily. So let me speak some truth right at the beginning. And then you'll see why I say this as we progress through our gathering. If you believe, if you believe, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't hurt anyone. I'm telling you now that you will justify your sin. You won't repent of it. You'll justify it. And even worse, it will kill your intimacy with God. God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, who created you in his image, who created you to be in a relationship with you. It will kill your intimacy with him. Now, why is this a problem? Because it's easy for us to say, listen, dude, that's my personal stuff. That's not yours. Why is it a problem if we justify our sin and we don't have intimacy with God? Well, guys, then it's a problem because we are literally living against the grain of the story of the Bible. Because the whole story of the Bible is about God saving human beings from sin and restoring intimacy with them back to a paradise relationship. There's like a 10-second overview of the Bible. This is what God wants. It is His will to have an intimate relationship with us. And we ought to submit to it. As believers, you and I cannot willingly and intentionally work against the will of God. Let me quote some Jesus in here, seeing that we're busy talking about things Jesus actually never said. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 21. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. He says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. Now, let me just say something real quick on the topic of sin and um, our culture at this moment. And then I'll tell you what we are going to do today. So I think in, first world, uh, in the first world, 
And I think in really progressive countries, and I think in really individualistic countries, it might actually be an unpardonable sin to call someone a sinner. To say, dude, you are a sinner, and currently you are busy with the wrong stuff. I actually, as a resident of the Republic of South Africa, a citizen, I don't think we are quite there yet because we are so bound to our families, right? So South Africa is still, by and large, a family-oriented society, which means that we do have spaces and we do have mechanisms in South Africa in which we can say, listen, dude, what you are busy with at the moment is not right. You guys know, family meetings, input from parents, input from siblings, input from aunts and uncles. It's not that weird in South Africa to tell someone that they are wrong. So I think we can. But what I have seen in our society, because of the way we live, that doesn't mean that we should always expect change or that we will also always see change, right? So you can tell me that I'm wrong. You can tell me that I'm a sinner. That really won't surprise me. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to change. Why? Because the way we live, especially, I think if I just look through the participants list, most of the people in the service at this moment, we have so many things of our own. Right? Got my own computer, got my own job, got my own bank account, got my own money, got my own devices. I've got my own, I've got my own, I've got my own. Which means that it leads me to believe that I could pretty much do whatever I want. Even though you might reprimand me, even though you might tell me that I'm in the wrong, even though you might want to help me up when you do see me sin, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to change. So that's one thing that I think is important for us to see about our culture, is even though we have that, even though we have that ability, it doesn't mean that we will change. The second thing is we definitely live in a world and in a country that has sugar-coated the word sin and that has sugar-coated the word um, wrong, and that has sugar-coated, I think, um, this ability to call something sin, okay? Let me, let me tell you what I mean. So if you just think about, um, if you think about adultery, adultery is a rough word, but oftentimes people would say something like, they had an affair, that's a way of sugarcoating it. Well, let me uh, use a different example. Um, people who have sex outside the bonds of marriage, right? Premarital sex, it's called. It's not called premarital sex. It's called fooling around. It's called experimenting. It's called experiencing. Even if you think about something like pornography, that is a massive problem in our society, and especially in South Africa, as our bandwidth and internet speeds increases, it's not called addicted to pornography. It's called adult entertainment, right? So we, we've, we found a way of talking about sin in a softer, more sugar-coated way to make it a little bit more digestible. And that leads to what I believe is a false tolerance, right? So we say we tolerate things. We say we tolerate different viewpoints. We say we tolerate this fact that all of us are individuals and we can make whatever decisions we want, but we tolerate them by actually not calling them what they're supposed to be called. Now, I've already stated why this is a problem, why we should preach about it, and why we should engage it as individuals. Let me give you one more reason. I think we ought to talk about this because some Christians believe, it might not be you, but it's definitely some of our two billion other brothers and sisters we have in Christ, that I can have all the surety of faith in Jesus and then do whatever I want. 
because God will forgive me. If you think about our theme for today and you want to Christianize it, it sounds like this. It doesn't matter what I do, God will forgive me. It doesn't matter what I do, God will forgive me. And we have brothers and sisters who think like this. And we also have brothers and sisters even listening to people that will confirm this. Let me, let me give you a quote from a book in the Bible called 2 Timothy. Right? And as I studied and as I prayed for this, I ran into this verse and I thought to myself, Gee, let me just sit with this for a second. Let's read this together. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to mess. Okay, so let's just sit in, let's just sit in this verse for a second. We live in this time. We actually live in this time where this is becoming a reality. It's been a reality and it will remain a reality until Jesus eventually comes back and liberates us from sin and from this world we live in. Okay? It's quite a sobering thought and a verse that we should definitely take seriously. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. Let me give you the map. We are going to look at three cultural misbeliefs about sin, three of them. Then we are going to look at what leads to intimacy with God. And then we are going to circle back to our teaching text that Andrea read and realize why John felt so um, strong about this. Now, just a quick note before we launch, I am going to use a lot of Bible references today. So either you want to take a note or if you even want to, you can lift up your telephone and uh, take a photo of the screen as I'm showing it on the slides. It'll be very useful for discussion in our breakouts a little bit later, because one of the questions in our breakouts will be which one of the scripture references today really, really resonated with you. So I want you to keep track as we go. Okay, so three cultural misbeliefs. Let's look at what leads to intimacy with God. And then let's circle back to our teaching text. Now, these three cultural misbeliefs, I think, asks for a lot of double-clicking and a lot of deep diving. We don't necessarily have the time, only in the sermon part of our worship experience, but we will be able to talk more about this in our breakouts. Okay, so first one. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. You've heard that before. You might have said that before. You might even believe it at this moment. It's a reaction specifically for believers or Christians when we do sin to justify our sin by believing that we are actually not a bad person. In our teaching text this morning, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I just put that to you. and I'm going to leave it right there. I mean, I can. Ask the screen, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever looked lustfully at another person? Have you ever lost your temper? I can ask you all of that. And I know that your answer will be yes, 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 right? Even myself. Um, <laughs> when I said, have you ever lost your temper? I think to myself, often I find myself in our kitchen 
absolutely filled with shame because of what just happened in the kitchen. And then Marie would come into the kitchen. She would go, dude, what on earth is going on here? So I get this picture of myself standing, kids sitting on the other side of the table. Stuff was lost in the kitchen. And then Marie goes, dude, what's going on here? And then I say to her, I lost my temper because the kids were painting with their food again. Guys, I don't know why. Well, I actually do know why. It's because I'm a complicated human being. But once the kids get their hands stuck in their food, and then they think making a Picasso-like real-life food painting on the table is a good idea, I absolutely lose it. It's like a pig of mine because I'm stuck right in this ethical dilemma do I have them clean it up themselves and learn them some discipline and then it's a mess or do I do it for them and it takes some of my time and it's not something that I wanted to do because I'm in a hurry right so which one do you choose do you like give them the, uh, uh, um, the responsibility to do it it's going to take some of my time I'm in a hurry but I shouldn't be in a hurry like that because I should live better rhythms and I feel guilty about my rhythms and I feel like the kids are never going to see me and then I just want to run away guys your pastor is a complicated human being so a pet peeve like painting with food right absolutely makes me lose my temper so all of us have done it just a, a side note we are going to ask you in the breakout rooms about your pet peeve and i do believe that there'll be some great stories but here's the thing every time we sin or we get stuck in sin it's really easy for us to say yes but what about him or her and it's never difficult really to find someone who's worse off than you according to your own standards but that's the problem for us is other people are not our standard our standard is a holy and a perfect god and if you believe that God is holy and perfect and we measure yourself against him, you will find the following truth in the Bible. This is Paul, Romans 3, verse 10, that says there's no one righteous, not even one. Now, that's Paul quoting from Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, and Psalm 53, verses 1 to 3. And just as another side note, it's a little rabbit hole. I'll just define it. I won't go down it though. You guys know that Jesus grew up as a Jew, right? You guys know that Jesus prayed at least one psalm three times a day, every single day of his life. Jesus used the psalms as his prayer book. Can you guys imagine Jesus standing in corporate worship in the synagogue, singing, there's no one righteous, not even one, repetitively seeing how his brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith says that, and then feeling the weight of, I am going to be the one that's going to sort this thing out. Eh? Must have been absolutely I'm gripping, gripping. But here's the thing. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. So it is a cultural misbelief for us to think that we are not a bad person. Let me put down a second one. Second misbelief about sin is we believe that all sin is the same, right? So who are you to judge me? What I'm doing isn't any worse than what you are doing. Sin is sin. Now, that's actually something that Jesus never said, right? So we know that the Bible teaches us that all unforgiven sin leads to eternal death, right? That is a biblical truth. So all unforgiven sin leads to eternal death let me show you so this is once again the apostle paul in the book of romans chapter 6 verse 23 it's easy he says for the wages of sin is death 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, right? We all know that. But using a verse like that to justify why the sin you do is exactly the same as someone else's sin is to miss the consequences that comes with sin. Because if you think about it, guys, the consequences, the relational breakdown, the hurt that your sin causes, the damage that your sin causes to other people, doesn't make all sin the same. I mean, let's take a few quotes from Scripture, okay? I just want to throw this at you. This is Jesus himself speaking in Luke chapter 20, and here's what he says. While all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for the show. These will receive harsher judgment. Why? Because you weren't meant to do that. On the contrary, you were meant to do the opposite. And because you actually meant to do the opposite, but you persist in doing this thing, you will receive a harsher judgment. Why? Because the damage is far-reaching. The damage is not only to yourself, the damage is to someone else, which leads to damage to someone else, which leads to damage to someone else. So it's a cycle that comes from your sin. And if that is the truth, well, then the... Um, uh, the judgment you will receive will be a harsher judgment. So that's Jesus. That's him speaking. Look at Jesus speaking to Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Right? That's Jesus putting Pilate in checkmate saying, listen, dude, I didn't come to this place because you wanted me here. I came to this place because I had to be here. And then Jesus says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Why? Because the consequences of it is far reaching and it's damaging. So that's Jesus, two quotes from him himself. Let's look at Paul the Apostle. This is Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run from it. Why? Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So there's degrees of comparison between sin. And just saying, listen, dude, sin is sin and all sin is the same. And you can't judge me or you can't call me out is a lie. Because the consequences of our sin is far reaching. And this isn't me encouraging you to do small sins with small consequences. This is me encouraging you to think about the consequences of your own sin. And therefore, it does matter what we do. Because sin has consequences. And some of them hurt more people than you could ever imagine. The third cultural misbelief about sin is since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. Anybody? Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. Okay, so I wanted to use the illustration of a slab chocolate in the kitchen cupboard 
And then you approach it by saying, I'm only going to have one little piece, right? It's just to cleanse the palate. It's just to get rid of whatever it is I've got going on here. I don't necessarily want the sugar rush or all the milky goodness. It's going to be only one block. Then you have one. And then you have another one. And then there's that switch that flips where you say, well, I've already had some chalky. So I might as well continue doing it. But I'm not going to use that illustration. I'm just saying. I did think about that kind of illustration. So I'm not necessarily going to name the sins that you and I know we struggle with when it comes to, since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. You guys know what I'm talking about. I do want to show you, though, what the Apostle Paul says about this in Romans 6, verses 1 to 2. Now listen to this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. Do you guys see the exclamation mark? And it is an exclamation written in the Greek language as well. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The reason why we shouldn't continue doing it, even though we feel like we have already started doing it, guys, is because sin is progressive. It grows. It grows in the dark. It grows every time you do it. It progresses every time you do it. And we shouldn't do it just because we already started. Why not? Because it hurts God. It hurts people. It hurts you. And it kills your intimacy with God. You won't hear his voice. It'll dull out his voice. It'll harden your heart to experience intimacy with him and to experience the presence of the spirit. I'm just going to stop sharing my screen here for a sec before we before we flip back to our teaching text. So that's three really important cultural misbeliefs about sin, guys. I said we'll cover them, and I said we'll think about them. And then I said we'll ask the question, what leads to intimacy with God? Now, we can talk for long about this. Let me just give you one principle, something that I believe is true, and something the Bible teaches is true. Check this. Intimacy with God isn't about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. Can I say that again? Intimacy with God is not about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. We live in a world that we think, if I want to experience more intimacy with God, I need to go deeper. I need to learn more, right? I need a new journal. I need a new study Bible. I need a new version reading plan. I need something more in here. But that's actually not true. If you want to grow in intimacy with God, check this. Do what he tells you to do. That's it. You don't need deeper knowledge to lead you to obedience. Just obey and do what he says now guys i'm all for the deep stuff you guys know it right i mean we've even coined the word bird in fellowship city which is a conjunction of bible and nerd right so a bible nerd is a bird spelt with an e right so i'm all for nerding out i'm all for passing words i'm all for studying the bible deeper and deeper but let me tell you if we study the bible deeper and deeper but we never obey it we are not going to mature as Christians, and we're not going to experience intimacy with God. Craig Rochelle, the pastor of Life Church, said this in one of his sermons. He said, most Christians are educated well beyond their level of obedience. 
Most Christians are well educated or are educated well behind their level of obedience. Now, why is this important for us to be obedient? Well, guys, because we're a bunch of kids who's got a dad. And if we do what our dad tells us to do, we will experience joy. I'm a father myself. I've got two beautiful daughters called Ava and Katie. If they do what I say, they flourish. If we are not in disunity with one another, they flourish. If they listen to me and we are close to one another and we experience intimacy with one another, they flourish. Then they are like little ballerinas in the house and they make crafts and they laugh and they make jokes and they run about. But if we are not in a good space, if they didn't do what I told them to do, if they are disobedient to me, if there's distance between myself and kids or or even Marie and kids, they are shaken. They don't flourish. They are uncertain and they are actually miserable. Now, I'm just using a real-life example of our house, but the same is true for us as children of God. Let me tell you, most, the most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. Okay? Non-Christians will tell you they're having a wall because they can do whatever they want. The most miserable people in the world are Christians who's living in sin. And why? Well, it's because you know that you are in the wrong. Right? And you carry this heavy burden. You know the freedom that comes with the gospel. You know how to get back to unity with your father, but you choose not to do it. And you carry this weight of sin that we could never carry. That's why we have a savior who carried it for us and who made a way for us. But if we stay in unrepentant sin, we will feel worn down and we will be miserable, miserable people. I was at a conference once where a Methodist pastor or a Methodist reverend in South Africa spoke. His name is Trevor Hudson. And we were speaking about non-repentance of sin. And someone said, you know, uh, uh, or some replied to him, uh, citing some of these cultural misbeliefs about sin. You know, the fact that I'm not a bad person and the fact that all sin is the same and the fact that we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. And then Trevor Hudson leaned forward and he said, and how is that working for you? And how is that working for you? Think about it. If you are a believer and you love tied down with the burden of sin, not wanting to repent from it, how how, how is that working for you? The fact is, it'll make you go farther than you want to. And it'll cost you more than you are willing to actually sacrifice or to pay for it. We shouldn't let sin kill our intimacy with God. We should rather be obedient to God himself and then experience the intimacy that comes from it. I want to end off my sermon today by telling you a story from my own life. Now, guys, telling you a story from my own life on a Zoom call when I'm alone in my study, that's kind of putting myself out there. But I do want to share this story with you guys. And I want you to hear how our cultural misbeliefs or the stuff I just quoted actually permeates my own story. Okay. So a show... A morning on a bicycle, another morning on a bicycle, and then another morning on a bicycle. Okay, so a show and three mornings on a bicycle. Here's my story. Uh, In December, I was at a music concert. At this music concert, I had a really good conversation with one of our sisters in the church, Ilana, about mutual friends that we know uh, who are going through a really hard time in their marriage. And at some point in the music concert, uh, my thoughts wandered, and I started praying 
about this couple. And I say to God, God, what's going on here? Right? Why are they struggling? Why, why is he doing this and why is she doing that? What's wrong? What's bugging them, right? It was a prayer for someone else. Do you guys know what God answered me? At that music concert, God said to me, I want to show these things to you, and I will, but your life is dirty, and I need you to clean up your act. Now you can imagine, guys, sat at this musical concert. My first rebuttal to God in that conversation was, what? I, I, I thought I was doing quite well, to be blatantly honest. I mean, I was working through three sermon series at the time, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and one thematic sermon series. I was on holiday, washing dishes, serving my wife, loving my kids, being frugal with our money, being generous if that was needed, serving our neighbors, being friendly, trying to make conversations. I was looking after my body. I was on a bicycle. I was cooking food. I was eating healthy. I was uh, witnessing about how awesome God was through this year. Can you see me, right? Answering God himself with, listen, uh, I've actually not that bad uh, but okay that's cool so that evening I decided as God answered me I'm going to submit to this and then I'm going to pray about it right so God said to me he wants to show me something but he wants me to clean up my act so then one morning on a bicycle which is kind of a trend in my life at the moment uh, I prayed about it and I asked God well what is it that you want me to do how do you want me to clean up my act and he said to me here's what I want you to do don't use any alcohol for a whole year which is odd because I really don't use a lot of alcohol, right? I mean, if I would have to count the number of drinks that I had through the course of last year, it's probably less than one per month. But okay, I'll do it. And then God said to me, don't watch any television for a whole year, right? No movies, no series, no nothing, uh, because you invest yourself too deeply when you do watch it. It steals your time. It steals your discernment. I want you to stay away from it. And guys, let me just say a disclaimer. If you are currently watching a series and it is changing your life, that's fine. I'm not saying that you should stop watching it. I just said that God told me to stop watching it. Another morning on the bicycle, I prayed about this again. And I said to God, it feels a little bit odd to me because I'm not using a lot of alcohol and I'm actually not watching a lot of telly. So why is it that you want me to clean up my act? What are you busy with uh, in me? And then God said to me, dude, brace yourself. The beginning of this year is going to be very, very rough. It will be filled with challenges. It will be filled with trials. And it will be filled with spiritual warfare. I need you to beef up on your spiritual muscles. I need you to beef up on your prayer life. And I need you to beef up on your discernment. It is coming at you. Fasten your seatbelt. And I literally went home, unclicked my feet from the pedals. And I said to Marie, love, God just told me that we should brace ourselves for one of the hardest times of our lives. And that's what he's busy with inside of me. And then the last morning on the bicycle, uh, I was going up a massive hill just outside Still Bay. And the sun was coming up on the eastern side. I was driving in a northerly direction. And I said to God, we've had such a phenomenal time. It was five great weeks, all these cool people and all these experiences. Like, what are you busy with? What are you teaching me? Right? Because I know I need to clean up my act. I know what I have to do and I know why I have to do it. Uh, why are you being so awesome and good to us? Where's all of these blessings coming from? And I felt God saying to me, who said that I'm done showering you with love and blessings and treats? I'm your dad. You don't hustle. I give. Right? And you're my boy. And therefore, I'll treat you and I love you and I'll bless you. What's the moral of my story? 
The moral of my story is go to a music concert and get yourself a bicycle. I'm joking, guys. I'm joking. That's not at all the moral of my story. The moral of my story is that one simple prayer that I wasn't even praying for myself, right? I was praying it for someone else. And one response, one obedient response, even though I thought I was doing well, led to this whole range of revelations from God himself. And how has the beginning of our year been? It has been absolutely horrifying and terrible. My wife and I, in our almost 10 years of marriage, has never gone through a season like we've gone through in the beginning of this year. Every single thing, from personal to family to corporate to church, has been an absolute horror show. And how am I still standing? Well, because of that one moment of obedience in December, so that God could reveal more things to me and more things to me and bring me closer to him so that he can show me more impurities in my life, so that he can show me a bigger need for repentance, so that he can show me where I ought to be holy, so that from that place I can live the life that he destined to live, that he destined for me to live. That's why our teaching text is such great news. And I want to end us off with that. Let me just show you again to verse 8 and 9 in our teaching text. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, point made. Just look at verse 9, guys. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, friends, that this is written by someone who walked with Jesus, who even quoted Jesus word for word in the gospel that is called the gospel according to John. This is from someone who knows the things Jesus actually said. And that's great news for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, verse 9 comes as ointment to our wound, uh, our wounds. It comes as water to our thirst. It comes as bread to our hunger. It is exactly what we need to hear this morning. I pray that you would plant these words deeply, deeply in our hearts and in our minds, that you would grow them and that they would come to great fruition. We do realize, Lord Jesus, that it does matter what we do. We want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. And we want to experience intimacy with you. I pray that you would bless our conversations as we have them now in breakout rooms. I pray that you would uh, not leave us unchanged after what we heard today. We pray that in your name. Amen.